questions on my phone? Well, you're muted. Let me try again. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. And we seek blessings upon the Prophet. May peace be upon him. And we are continuing our exploration of the decline of the children of Israel. We are a little bit past the halfway point. And so our goal is to get to Ayah 74. And we are now on Ayah 61. So can you all see the, uh, can someone nod to let me know you can see the, the ayahs on the screen. Okay, very good. So jumping right into into the conversation. What if, once again, another lesson. What if Kultum Yamusa? So you said, and when you said, Oh Moses, peace be upon him. Lan. So again, negation. Never. Lan nasbira We can't endure one food. The Amin Wahid. So someone's Muted all of you. Can you still hear me? Yes. Someone nod. Let me know you can hear me. Could you please? Um, you have the chat disabled. So. Seriously? Oh man, I thought I enabled it. Okay. Can you see it now? Very nice, mashallah. Okay. So once again, <clears throat> the people of Musa alayhi salam uh, are saying to him, "We can't persevere. We can't handle one food." So call upon your Rabbah. Uh, so to bring forth for us from the earth, it's herbs, cucumbers, garlic, lentils, onions. So first subtle point, <clears throat> how many foods were they being given at this point? Looking at to what we discussed yesterday. Anyone? They were being given two manna and salwa and so here once again is a lesson <clears throat> uh, well uh so so what is manna manna being tree sap is it a liquid i remember in one of dr Strauss's lectures he says that the manna is giving them the carbohydrates and the salwa is giving them the protein uh, the point is that they're being given two things it would probably be three things if we include water uh if this was chronological and so so they're being given two foods, but they're only regarding it as one. And this again is a lesson in how gratitude and ingratitude operates. Once again, if they're being given two foods and they're grateful, they'd be feel, they would feel like they were given so much. If they're given two foods and they are ungrateful, then they will feel like they're not being given much of anything. And so here they're reducing it to one food, the amin wahidin. Good. And so what are they asking for? Give us all of this vegetation, herbs, cucumbers, garlic, lentils, onions. Now there's another interesting point. When you are making a request of Allah, you are, so if you, uh, you are intentionally making a request for one thing, you are unintentionally request for everything that goes with it. Okay, so, so let me explain this point further. Think back to when we had last the prayer of the heart and the prayer of the tongue. Okay. Get me to work on time. Get me to work on time. Why? Because what I really want is to get um, to not get in trouble. Why? So I don't lose my job. Why? So I don't lose my income. Why? 
so I, everything doesn't fall apart. And we're getting closer and closer to what the real prayer is, which is usually something like, give me rahmah, or, or quell my fears, or something. And then we said the true prayer of the heart, the truest prayer of the heart is, give me, uh, what's the word, um, closeness to Allah, bring me closer to Allah. And so here, <clears throat> that's one part of dua, figuring out what your heart is really seeking. Another part of du'a is figuring out everything you are unintentionally praying for. So, so related with this, there's a story of a companion of the Prophet, peace be upon him, who got very sick. And he is sick for a long time and nobody can figure out what the problem is. And then the Prophet, peace be upon him, I'm paraphrasing of course, is asking the companion, did you pray for anything recently? And the companion prayed for perseverance. The, the companion prayed for sabr. And so what was he given to get sabr? He was made very, very sick. And that would forced him to learn how to have sabr. And then he developed sabr from that. And so anytime I am praying for something, I am unintentionally praying for everything that goes with my prayer. So here they are praying for, yes, be careful what you ask for. So here they are praying for for all these herbs, cucumbers, garlic, lentils, onions, and such. But what else are they praying for? A life of agriculture. And so they want this food. All right, you can have this food. Here's how you can get it. So Musa salam says, are you going to exchange what is better for what is less? What is higher for what is less? You were given this hand-delivered, so to speak, angel-delivered food, already served, and now you want vegetables. You've been given meat already prepared and now what you want is is vegetables and so here's what you need to do go into this land and and so here the, here's the question what is the land called in in the ayah is it is it egypt is it egypt is it a descent to go from 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 jerusalem down to down to egypt in any case so 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 the point here is go to this land, you'll get whatever you ask for. The end result is that they were covered with humiliation and poverty. So problem number one, problem number one is because of a lack of gratitude, they reduced what they were being given. Number two, related to that, or one B, because of a lack of gratitude, they got impatient with what they had. If I have gratitude, so for example, here I am sitting, sitting in this corner, which I've been sitting almost nonstop for all waking hours for, for, for the past month and a half. And, and I can't express to you how much I love this sitting in this corner. In, in seriousness, not in sarcasm. Uh, but I can imagine uh, myself thinking, man, this sucks. I gotta get out. Of course, you know, my personality is perfectly fine with doing absolutely no work whatsoever. So, so the point being that, uh, uh, so long as I can remain grateful for being in this position, inshallah, the longer I'm going to be happier in this position. And so this doesn't mean, of course, if you're an extrovert, that okay, you're being ungrateful. Naturally, if you're an extrovert, you need to interact with people. But that's, that's the side point. So problem number two. So number one is the lack of gratitude. Problem number two is, is the diagnosis of what they need. So just like with the prayer of the heart and the prayer of the tongue, your tongue is diagnosing or interpreting what your heart is seeking. 
And in the example of me trying to get to work on time, the diagnosis or the interpretation is I need to get to work on time for my heart to have what I need. And here, what do they need to deal with the, the boredom with the food that they've been given is all kinds of veggies. It would have at least made sense to pray for a variety of other types of luxurious food. No, they prayed for something else. And then within that, the problem is when you're praying for something, you're also praying for everything else that goes along with it. So, so just to help make sense of it, let me, let me write it out for everyone. Because I feel like it's been so long since I've used a whiteboard for this class. I need to refresh my whiteboarding skills. So, so in terms of the issue of dua, one issue is the diagnosis, self-diagnosis of your heart. Before I was using the word, before I was using the word, before I was using the word interpretation of the heart, same point. Okay. Diagnosis of the heart and then praying accordingly. And then the second point being, which <clears throat> I actually just suddenly forgot the second point now that I dropped my pen. We'll come to the third point of praying for praying for unintended corollaries. And let me look back at the ayah to, to remember what the second point was. That'll come back to me in a second. We'll see in the recording. Anyway, so praying for, for unintended corollaries and uh, maybe they want to have a vegan lifestyle. Okay, so diagnosis of the heart. What was it? Okay, it'll come back to me in a second. Okay, fasting is now catching up with me, Mashallah. Good. And so, end result, so, uh, prayer of the heart, prayer of the tongue, that's that. Oh, no, no, diagnosis of the heart was the second thing. That's why I'm so confused. Is the condition of gratitude or ingratitude? Okay, and then what did the heart seek? Okay, they're seeking, in this case, what do they want? They want variety. Which then they further interpret to mean veggies. So basically the question being that are they, you know, why wouldn't they ask for the wonderful food that they've already had? If they were grateful, they could have said, you know, mashallah, you've given us so much, but now we're afraid of ingratitude. You know, can you give us a variety? But instead, yeah, we can't deal with this. Yeah, can you give us something else? Give us all these fruits and vegetables. And so what is the unintended corollary? Life of agriculture. And then what is an unintended corollary of that? Poverty. because they have to spend their whole time in agriculture now. And so what should I do when I'm making dua to Allah? Uh, one, 
It is perfectly fine for me to pray for anything that I'm, that I'm seeking. Okay, that is not the problem. The problem is step number one is step number two. Step number one, I should keep praying for gratitude. And step number three, I should ask Allah and make it easy for me. Whatever it is that I'm seeking. So if I'm asking for a raise or a job that gives me more salary, I am unintentionally going to be asking for everything that goes along with that, which might be higher expenses. Uh, or if I'm asking for a different job, then I might be unintentionally praying for an environment that was not as wonderful. If my last job was wonderful, I might be asking for all of that. So whenever you make a dua for something, also add somewhere in there for Allah Ta'ala to make it easy for you. Because okay. uh, <clears throat> the prayer of your heart and the prayer of your tongue may be answered, and you may actually not want what your heart was seeking. Okay. And to make this point, Yet a step further, uh, Dr. Mahan, perfect example, like the dua of istikhara. Uh, to make this point a step further, if you go to, I believe it's ayah 82. No. Maybe it's... But in any case, <laughs> there is the people, uh, oh, right here, 89, mashallah. Okay. So when there came to them, the children of Israel, the book of Allah, confirming that was with them, and they used to pray for victory against the kuffar. Okay. When they came to them, that which they recognized, they disbelieved in it. So what was taking place of the Jews of Medina? They are praying for victory over the kafirs. The kafirs were the idol worshippers. I was in Khazraj and such. And they're praying for dominance, victory, conquest over them. And so what Allah Ta'ala give them, he gave them the Prophet, peace be upon him, and the Quran. Okay. But that's not how they wanted it. Because that was an Arab. Okay. And so they made a prayer. They got the answer to the prayer that would have given them dominance over kufr. But when they got it, they even recognized what they were asking for, but they rejected. Okay. So think about how fascinating this is, that I can make a dua to Allah and get exactly what I'm seeking, and it can be a doorway for me to leave the deen. Okay. That, I think, is very, very frightening. So just like in the last couple of discussions, we were making the point that a miracle uh, may bring me closer to Allah or may make me more stubborn or I might respond to a miracle by getting closer to Allah or I might uh, uh, respond to a miracle by getting more stubborn in my, my, my actions. The same way I behave regarding wealth, that wealth might open my heart to bring me closer to Allah okay? or it might close my heart. I might respond by letting my heart close and turning away from Allah. The same thing can also happen with dua. So perfect question, Suleiman. Wouldn't this uh, deter people from making du'a? Uh, it can, in the same way it could deter people from, from, from miracles and it could deter people from wealth. Rather, it's what is the key repeated point in all of these? That everything that is happening before me is a door for me to get closer to Allah or a door for me to close and turn away from Allah. 
And so we're prescribed make du'as about everything, even down to something as insignificant as your shoelaces. Make du'as for everything. And embrace when you're getting what you asked for. Because one illustration, when you get what you asked for, it means Allah Ta'ala literally has listened to you. And so, so yeah, Suleiman, uh, let me know what you think, because I think that point can apply to everything. So, for example, the more knowledge I get, the more I'm responsible for. So that means I should probably not try to get knowledge. Right. So, so this, is, uh, this is a heavy point here. But why did this happen? Why did they turn away? Uh, uh, so some of your questions late, let me get to, to your question as well. Why did they turn away? What was the core? What did their gratitude lead them to? They were rejecting the ayat of Allah. And we'll see the details of how in the next subsection, which we'll talk about in the future when we're going to have that class, I 74 to about 123, the causes and manifestations of kufr. And part of it is that they were developing love for the calf of their heart. And then that led them over the course of generations even to killing prophets, peace be upon them without justification. And why did they do all of that? Why did they do these horrendous things, rejecting the eyes of Allah and committing murder? So then what was the source of that? Because they disobeyed and they persisted in transgression, persisted in crossing boundaries they should not cross. So, so here's the pathway we are looking at now, the pathway of how to sort of bring yourself into ruin This is a pathway towards ruin. We'll call them pathways. At the individual level, we've already seen a couple. One is outright rejection. One is hypocrisy. One is uh, is shameless rebellion, right? We've seen those as pathways to ruin. These are at the individual level. And then the collective, which is a collection of individuals, yeah, which is also the C for these, is a collective lack of gratitude. So now we're talking about collective ruin which then is leading to, according to the ayah, disobedience and crossing boundaries that you're not supposed to cross. So disobedience would essentially be disobey Allah, crossing boundaries would be implementing bad character. And then what that led to is rejection. of ayahs where you're saying no. Samia'na wa asayna, as opposed to samia'na wa atana. Rejection of ayahs and then horrendous wrong. I mean, it's bad enough to kill someone without justification. 
Think about how much worse it is to kill a prophet. If you kill any normal person, even the worst person, it's equal without justification. It's as though you kill all of humanity. So imagine what it's like to kill a prophet who's upon him. So this is one, two, three. This is step one, step two, step three, step four. And once again, the seed is lack of gratitude. And then we can also add uh, bad leaders or bad influencers, which would be bad leaders and scholars. And a perfect example of, is what we see right now in our society. All those people that are protesting, uh, and I think I've mentioned this multiple times, those people that are protesting, they were just in Chicago last Friday protesting. If their protest was, okay, governmental leaders, you're telling us to stay at home for our safety, but you're not giving us any way for us to earn income. Okay. Uh, that's a problem. You have to do something better. If that's what the message was, many people could have signed on. But instead, okay, we're going to not wear masks. We're going to have this brazen disregard of safety, including you know, no social distancing. We're even going to dance at the at the at the uh, protest that took place in Chicago. You had two girls. One was wearing an African American face mask to be Obama, and then they were dancing as part of this presentation. Right? A total total disregard. But how are they deciding this? Someone is telling them to do this. That would be the bad influencers, which is then leading them to crossing boundaries. Now, in our context, they're not going to be rejecting ayahs. They're going to be rejecting laws, and the next consequence would be to do horrendous wrongs. Okay. And so this is the pathway, a pathway for collective decline, collapse, ruin. Okay. If you like this look right here, I'm wearing this, like I, I button this and I know it just makes me look so much formal. Okay. Okay. So let's go to the next ayah. Suddenly, a shift in a completely different direction. And I like to call this the interfaith ayah. So as for those who have believed or who have believed, and the Hadu and the Nasara and the Sabi'in, whoever believes in Allah and the last day and does right, for them they will have the reward of their Lord. They need have no fear, nor shall they grieve. Okay. Now what's interesting is we have this ayah that's sort of stuck right in the middle, and then we go right back to the children of Israel. Okay, we made a pact with you, you know, and brought the mount above you. So, so what's the point to take from this? First, let us look at the ayah, not in terms of the, the meaning, but in terms of like the, the, the spread of what's going on. Children of Israel had reached a point of being stamped with humiliation and poverty. Okay. They have the anger of Allah upon them. You almost never see this language in the Quran. Ghadab min Allah. This is one of the reasons why people argue in commentaries that Ghayril Mahdubi alayhim is referring to the Jews. It's connected right here. Ghayril Mahdubi alayhim, at the very least, we'd connect with the children of Israel. Um, but we're also saying that they are uh, at least the Jews of Medina. Yeah. Uh, but very rarely, anywhere in the Quran, do you find this language. Okay as opposed to punishment from Allah, so forth and so on, but the anger of Allah. 
Okay. And so a way to read this is that do not associate the behavior of the children of Israel automatically with the Hadu. Okay. So one of the very early points I made in, in, our, our, uh, uh, in this particular part of the course is that the children of Israel are not necessarily the same as the Jews. not necessarily the same as the Jews. Again, who are the children of Israel? The people who identify themselves as children of Israel. At the time of the prophet Musa, peace be upon him, they would have been, at least in terms of what we call religion, uh, it would be uh, uh, Muslim, or whatever we call it at that time, or monotheist, what have you. So, uh, but here we have now these terms, Yehud, Nasara, Nisara, and Sabi'in. Commonly translated as Jews, it's Judeans. Commonly translated as Christians, it's the people of Nazareth. The Sabi'in are an interesting group that there's been some research on trying to figure out who they are. And it seems as though they are modified Zoroastrians that we find in Iraq. So Zoroastrians uh, tend to have a belief in two gods. You know, one is sort of like the god of good, the other one's sort of the god of evil, and everything is one or more of the other. And I might be misrepresenting mis, uh, this. And Sabi'in were sort of a modification of them, either the early version of them or an offshoot from them. And these were essentially monotheists somewhere found in Iraq. But what is the key point that I'm making is that they're identified by location as opposed to belief. Belief is part of it. Now, there might also be some links here with the word uh, Yahud and Hedayah and Nasara and the Ansar, Man Ansari Ilallah. Yeah, that is also probably true, somewhere, something along those lines. But uh, historically, uh, it's better that these are the actual translation. Of course, in modern parlance, modern usage, Yehud refers to Jews in general. Uh, uh, Deities and Arabs, what are the words we use for Christians today? So if I'm in Cairo, Jerusalem, Karachi, Hyderabad, what are the words we use? Yeah, we'll use Isai. Deities will use Isai for, 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 for Christians. And then what will, what will Arabians use Masihin, yeah and uh, there was a guy in my program who had like just about the most christian name you could possibly have this egyptian guy his name was isa abdel masih so man al masri so so can't get much more christian than that name and there's also uh up in my sister's community in milwaukee there's a guy who converted to islam his name was christian uh and then he decided that's probably not a good name for a muslim so he changed his name too. Yes, you guessed it, Isa. Okay. So, so I'm drawing attention. Uh, point number one was that one way to read the placement of this ayah in this line is to not automatically assume that all Jews are cursed. Okay. 
Um, second point about this ayah itself. In terms of historical context, what we can gather from the occasion of revelation, this ayah seems to be answering the question, is it, uh, what happens to the people before Muhammad, peace be upon him? What ha happens to them in terms of akhirah? And the response is this. If they believed in Allah and the last day and they did right, they have nothing to fear. They're going to have the reward. And so this is an answer to that. Now, if we remove the history, because that's not part of the text, and if we remove all the ayahs that come before and after this, can I use this as an argument to say that, yeah, non-Muslims can go to paradise? What do you all think? Because this is frequently used in that context. That's why I call it the interfaith ayah. So uh, can you all give me more, more than yes or no? So Musab says yes. Why? Uh, Iqbal says no. Why? Anyone else? And feel free to unmicrophone yourself or unmutify yourself. Can I go ahead first? Go for it, Iqbal. So, so the, the so, so first of all, let me rephrase your question. So, just looking only this ayah. Yeah, yeah. So, this is like a pre-Prophet or during or post? Okay, in terms of the backstory, this is referring to pre, pre-Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. But the key point I'm making is that's not in the ayah itself. Yeah, that's the thing that I want to understand. If it is pre, then it's a valid, but post doesn't apply because yeah. then uh, uh, the, the, these uh, ayah itself is maybe referring to something uh, uh, that is. Uh, uh, so if, if the prophet is there and anything post or during, uh, this is automatically disqualifies. But if the question may have been asked by people back then, that okay, if what about these people? So then the resp response would be, yeah, they, they are all fine, so long they are believing this, 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 this. But mm -hmm. now, since prophet amongst you, so your primary condition is to believe in him, and then this, 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 this. Okay. Okay. So, so the argument you're making is basically, if I understood correctly, for a person who came before the prophet, peace be upon him, then inshallah, they might not be identifying as Muslim, but they can go to paradise. But if they're post-prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, then it's harder to justify that with this ayah. Yeah? Correct. Okay. All right. Anyone else want to argue? Uh, same point or a different point? Imam Ghazali would disagree strongly. He would actually say almost 75% of the non-Muslims uh, could be going into paradise. The only category he's, uh, say he puts in hellfire is the one who recognized the Prophet and consciously rejected him. The rest of the three categories okay. of non-Muslims, he says, uh, he leaves the way open for them. Okay. Okay. Uh, Hadia is saying it applies to post. Okay. Uh, Sami is saying, we look at context. Moment is saying, it seems like it would depend on circumstances. People believe in God, but are brought up in traditions that integrate religion differently. Bring a technical understanding of the historiography of sources, belief in God, and attempt to do what's right seems sufficient. All right. Anyone else? So 
we've partially touched on this before in the previous course. I'm actually looking for the second ayah. Um, um, anybody remember where the ayah is in Surah Ma'idah? Very, very similar ayah. And I always forget. Um, let's see if I can try it super quickly on my phone. Sixty-nine. Uh, I have sixty-nine. So tell me if this changes the story, it changes your opinions, one or the other. So Quran five sixty-nine. I was I was looking at seventy-five. Okay. Dun dun dun. Almost the exact same ayah. Inna ladina amanu, waladina hadu, was sabiin, wanasara. So just a, a, a flipping of the word. Man amana billahi. That part's the same. And everything's the same except for the part of they will have the reward with their Lord. That's not a part of this text. This ayah, it is hard to find the backstory behind this ayah being revealed. So this may not be saying this applies to pre. It may be saying it may apply to present or post. Hey, Basra, I'm going to mute you for a second. Okay, yeah. Okay, so, so does that change anyone's opinions? Meaning, we have context for this ayah, ayah 262, al-Baqarah ayah 62. We don't as easily or as clearly have context for, for almost exactly the same ayah, except the part about reward, um, for Surah al ayah 569. Is it that 262 applies to pre and then 569 can include post? Dun, dun, dun. Okay. So, go back to our trusty whiteboard here because that makes all things happy. And then another point to ask, um, I'm Guessing, looking at our list, probably about a third of the people on this list, including myself, have uh, non-Muslims in their extended family. Probably in the course of the next 20 years, everyone in this list will have non-Muslims in their extended family, if not immediate family. And so one issue with any theological opinion One question, sorry. One question is the practical consequence. So when we spoke about free will versus predestination, we you know we talked about subjectivity and objectivity, and then from there we talked about how how we would comprehend the day of judgment, either it's a day of justice or it's a day of mercy depending on what lens I'm using. And then we spoke about the practical consequence. One aspect of that is that predestination makes it easier for me to cope with life, the difficulties of life. Predestination also keeps me humble in terms of the ease and luxuries of life. That it was written for me to have this struggle or it was written for me to have this, this, uh, this period of prosperity. And then another practical consequence is that if a community is leaning too far or swinging too far to one end, I have to bring them back to the middle. Good. 
And very often you'll find a community leads way too far in terms of predestination, like the, the issue of kismet in South Asian societies, or what we have in our society, complete free will, and free will is literally a divine right. I can do whatever I want. I'm immune from everything. And that's literally another aspect of what we see in these protesters, that they literally believe without saying it, that they're immune. And so, so the practical consequence here, again, is can a non-Muslim go to paradise? So now I'm saying a present-day non-Muslim, which could be a family member of ours, a family member of a family member, a friend, a coworker. If my answer is no, and this I think we've already actually discussed, then the practical consequence is that I have to do dawah. To them. If I truly believe, no. Good. If I say maybe, or if I say yes, then this becomes I should. I should. Because points number two and three apply to Muslims as well, right? That we call each other to truth anyway. But the key point I'm making is that if I say no, a non-Muslim cannot go to paradise and I'm sitting doing my own thing, then I'm risking myself getting in trouble before Allah. Like the story of Allah Ta'ala sending the angel to destroy the town and the angel sees this one person in the temple praying nonstop. And the angel goes back to Allah, is this the, is this the, the right person? And, and I'm paraphrasing the hadith, the hadith is very short. Now, is this the right person? Because this is the guy praying nonstop, and Allah Ta'ala is then saying, or the angel is being told, destroy him first. <coughs> because he did nothing while his, his society was falling apart. Okay. And so, so this is the issue of moving things to the practice. Okay, but that didn't answer our question. I-262, does that justify, okay, does this argue that non-Muslims can go to paradise? If we read the text on its own, yes, uh, I'm of the opinion that no, it does not argue that. That's my opinion. Yeah. It does not mean that there is no argument. I'm cautious against using this ayah uh, as an argument that non-Muslims can go to paradise. Yeah. Who is guaranteed to go to paradise? Who is going? Or no, who is going to hell? Coffers and monophics. We would include faucets in there as well. So I've already made the point that a kafir is not the same as a non-Muslim. Yeah. Uh, there's a student who, who's not in the class anymore who struggled with that, who really couldn't get past that point. Uh, uh, but also I think that per student stopped attending because of other reasons. 
so a kafir is not necessarily a monophic. What makes someone a kafir? They feel compelled to turn to Allah, similar to what the, the example Dr. Kaiser was giving. They feel compelled to turn to Allah and they suppress that compulsion. So that does not mean automatically that a non-Muslim is, is a kafir. So I will say it is hard to argue categorically from the Quran only that, uh, that non-Muslims are prohibited from paradise. In the Hadith literature, there are some Hadith narrations, a few that seem to indicate it, uh, that, it, uh, that it's harder for non-Muslims to go to paradise. But looking at all the material, I think it's very hard to argue this. Okay, so having said that, let us open the floor for questions. Let me try to catch up because there are a lot of really big, big questions here. Uh, Ramya, could the case be made from these two ayat, or perhaps even outside of these two ayat, that a Muslim could have a broader definition than our current social political construction may, su may suggest? That is an argument that some people make. The issue here, so, so for example, Fred Donner, this is a teacher of mine back in the academic days, he argues that the definition of believer at the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, was to include the people of the book. Yeah. Uh, one of the issues that I have um, in what we would sort of categorize as revisionist, okay, even though they're saying this is how it really was, is that it's potentially asserting that the whole community has been wrong all along. Okay. Now, it could be that the whole community has evolved into a direction that's, that's off base, um, but... I'm cautious about that, but naturally, I think every one of us should want for anyone to be able to go to paradise, even if the lowest level of paradise is, I don't know, let's say, Orland Park, Illinois, you know, where I live, or the oldest, the, the lowest level of paradise is Las Vegas, Karachi, etc. right? So suppose that's the lowest level of paradise. Uh, why wouldn't we want everyone to have that? It doesn't take anything away from me. Um, but I think that is potentially an argument that is worth considering. So on the one hand, I'm saying I'm cautious if the consequences to say that the whole community is wrong. Okay. But it doesn't mean we don't uh, engage with it. So it is possible that the definition of Muslim, um, a definition of Muslim, a definition of Muslim is, uh, is something wider than how we commonly look at it today. Yeah, inshallah, it could be. Um, the, the question that came after the Iqbal, uh, uh, 262 Jew Christians to be in his category will not go to paradise versus individual being among this group may go to paradise. Well, I mean, that's how it applies anyway, right? Um, that all of us are going to be going individually as opposed to collectively. And, and so that's an important point in terms of the children of Israel versus collective stamp of humiliation. Uh, but as individuals, everyone's going to be judged fairly according to, to who they are. But again, Judaism, Juda, Jude, uh, Judean, uh, Nazarene, and uh, Sabi'in. Sami, uh, aren't these names based on location? So could this also be read as Judeans, Nazarenes, who believe in the prophet will not grieve? Uh, I'm saying, I believe that's exactly what I'm saying, but I don't know if your question is referring to something else. Momin, so please clarify. Well, I mean, it seems like, whoops, it seems like it would depend on circumstance that people believe in God, but are brought up in traditions um, uh, that interpret religion differently, barring a technical understanding of the historiography of sources. 
Belief in God, attempt to do what's right seems sufficient. Inshallah, so this uh, moment, your question is sort of like the person raised on the island. And maybe if we're ambitious at some point in the future, we can go through this book by Ibn Tufayl called Hay bin Yaqzan, which is a fun, fun book. There's, a, there's this mostly forgotten genre of, of, of scholarly philosophical speculation, answering the question, what happens if someone is born on an island? So Imam al-Shafi'i has his own version of this book, which does not seem to exist anymore. It's no longer extant. But the most famous one is by Ibn Tufail from about the 1100s. And, and so he is tracing the story of this kid raised on an island. He also has interesting stories about how the kid gets to the island. And he's raised by a deer, and then the deer dies. And then he doesn't know, but he doesn't know what death is. The deer just stops moving. His mother stops moving. He's a human. His, his deer mother, D-E-E-R. And so he dissects her and then finds that there's this empty chamber in what you and I would call the heart. And he thinks that's what her animating spirit was. And that part's gone. And he goes on this journey and starts discovering Allah Ta'ala. Uh, and then he goes to this island next door of humans. And, and there are all these religious people. And he thinks they don't know anything about anything. They've lost their way. So maybe if we're all ambitious at some point in the future, we can go through that book. Of course, if we go at the same speed we're going through this, it'll take us about 35 years to get through the book. Okay, but the point is, uh, if that's what you're arguing, then inshallah, you know, then someone is acting according to their fitrah. Uh, so, Sami, so, so that's the argument. Um, um, so, like, it's not referring to Jews, Christians, but referring to people in Judea and Nazareth. This is part of the reason why I'm emphasizing that point, that um, it supports the argument that if you're a monotheist who believes in the last day, um, and does right. If you're from the religion of the people of Judea, meaning you follow the prophets that were sent to you from there, or the prophets that were sent to you in Nazareth, like Isa, then inshallah, you're fine. So yeah. So it's sort of, if I'm understanding your point correctly, it's supporting my point that we can't use that argument that I uh, uh, very easily to say that others can go to paradise, but it doesn't negate other possibilities. Yes, poor dear, dear mother. Nice, Mashallah. Uh, Abdullah, how is it condemning someone else different from 234? In this case, someone's pride or justified. If it is not pride, it is still a judgment about superiority. Uh, explain your point further. So you're talking about the eye of sajda, but please connect it with what we have here. Uh, similar question that most of us ask. What happens to the non-Muslim Jews that are so upright in their character and good deeds better than many Muslims? Uh, I'm very cautious about that type of juxtaposition. You know, this person is more Muslim than Muslims are, you know, but let's run with the argument. Uh, anyway, uh, every, the bottom line is that everyone's going to be treated fairly, you know, so so someone who has no belief whatsoever uh, is going to be judged just as fairly as someone who is raised with belief and is acting on that belief. And so we hope that everyone gets the rahmah of Allah. And the scary part of this is, once again, according to Hadith narrations, how many people are going to be sent to hell out of 1,999. And may Allah Ta'ala protect us and our loved ones from and our acquaintances from, from being among the 999. Some thoughts. Suleiman, so, uh, I feel like there's a link between ingratitude and children of Israel and the way Allah fulfilled their dua, isn't it sort of implicit that we seek ease with anything we might ask for? I think uh, someone who is somewhat uh, mentally healthy, whether or not they're spiritually healthy, yes. Would a person with gratitude not face these detrimental, unintended uh, consequences? Uh, yes, 
uh, that would be true. <clears throat> uh, and I would even associate that with maturity. Uh, but the point I'm suggesting is that it's still perfectly fine to pray for things to be made easy. Someone who is grateful is less likely to view these consequences as detrimental in the first place. Yeah, inshallah, I would agree in the general sense. But once again, you know, whatever it is you're praying for, be as ambitious as you want in your prayers. We're even prescribed to be ambitious in our prayers. And, and again, ask Allah to make it easier for you. Uh, let's see, scrolling up. Uh, Laith, you had a question, something about general or specific. Oh, there it is. Isn't better than to ask uh, for a general good from God as opposed to specific? I would suggest relate to what I just mentioned now, which is long after your question, to, to do both, ask for general good, but especially ask for specifics, ask for anything and everything, because we're talking about Allah, and ask Allah to make it easy for you, and ask Allah to make it beneficial for you in your relationship with him as well as in dunya. Because we're talking about Allah. Uh, okay, uh, Saadi asked, why wouldn't they ask for luxurious foods, though? I think that's a sign. Uh, one of the consequences of, of uh, lack of gratitude is that you're, you start uh, behaving sort of like a, a spoiled child. And so, yeah, if they took a moment, perhaps they should have asked for other luxurious food or they should have asked for Allah Ta'ala to help them enjoy their food that they're given. Just like um, when we... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, just like in Al-Fatiha, when we're saying, guide us on the straight path, the path of those whom you have favored, part of what we're asking for is guide me to see the favors of my life. And then I respond with gratitude. Uh, go for it, Sadia. Yeah, um, I just thought that maybe veggies and agriculture at that time was a luxury for them to be in the desert because they didn't grow anything. Mm -hmm. So maybe it seemed like a luxury for them at that time. What do you think about that? I mean, possible, but I think it's hard to argue that if food is being provided for you, served for you. Uh, uh, I mean, so in general, uh, and this is part of my old age, I generally prefer veggies over meat. Every once in a while I need meat, but um, uh, I, uh, it seems to me more plausible that uh, they were just looking for something else yummy uh, and were not appreciating how wonderful their dish was. I, mean, I think we all do understand that if you're fed the same meal every single day, uh, you're probably going to get bored no matter how luxurious it is. Uh, and so sometimes it's a struggle to also maintain gratitude. But yeah, it's possible maybe they did think that veggies would look really good. Maybe they saw a neighboring town and their food was really yummy. Could be. That would be so what I'd say about that is hold that as a thesis and then let's see if we, if we find other hints as we go through the text, inshallah. Hannah, does your fast count if you fall asleep between Sahri and Fajr? Yes. And make up Fajr when you wake up? Yes. Hours later. What if your phone dies so the alarm you set for Fajr didn't go off? Your fast still counts, inshallah. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if you can blame on Allah that your phone died. You know. Okay, Abdullah, the question being trying to come up with a picture of who is going to heaven or not. That kind of judgment divides people uh, into categories of superior and inferior. It potentially does that, yes. I don't think it automatically does that. It seems that pride is behind the judgment 
analogously, I don't think that's a word, get analogously to Iblis, or at least branding certain people as spiritually inferior. Not that this is not actually the case, but when we ourselves are the ones to make the judgment, then we put ourselves in the same position as Iblis, okay? Uh, therefore, making a judgment about which specific humans or uh, even groups of humans go to hell would be in principle because that statement compromises the position of the person who says it would be impossible in principle for any person not to give prophecy about the future. Okay, okay. so this is an issue that comes up. Uh, so I'm going to first answer the issue that you remind me of, and then I'll inshallah try to answer your question. This is an issue that comes up when a famous non-Muslim dies or a loved one non-Muslim dies. And so Kobe Bryant dies, and then all kinds of people start saying, you cannot wish anything for him because he was a non-Muslim, and, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, the problem is there's only a couple people in all of history related to your point where we know their Akhira. Okay, so we know the Akhira of the Ashara Mubashara, those 10 people who've been promised paradise. They're guaranteed paradise, right? And then we know the Pharaoh is going to hell. We know Shaitan is going to hell, the accursed Shaitan. We know Abu Lahab is going to hell. Uh, I don't know how many other people we know about their Akhirah. Therefore, uh, it, is it wrong to, to pray for someone if you don't know their Akhirah, even though they're self-identifying as non-Muslim? So, and I'm trying not to be coy when I say this, but I'm imagining that Kobe Bryant is on the helicopter clutching his daughter, knowing that something's bad. And as the helicopter is going down, I can picture him, I think we all can picture him saying, oh God, okay. What if that one sentence is going to give him his salvation? Okay. And so, so the point being that uh, 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 if we now spread this to loved ones that we have who are non-Muslim, okay. Uh, uh, we don't know their Akhirah, so why not pray for them? Because okay. uh, this always comes up, you know, can I go to my, my non-Muslim mother's janazah? Can I go to my non-Muslim grandfather's janazah? And you're always going to have that person who's going to say no, and I think they don't really know what they're talking about. To support that point even further, we have the dua we made reference to, I believe we made reference to in the previous course, uh, uh, in Surat al-Isra, where you're taught to pray for your parents, Rabbayani Sahira, they took care of me when I was little. There's no mention of what their religion was. And so, so if we're praying, we're being prescribed to pray for our parents without mention of what their religion was. It's not, you know, you know, Illah, you know, Fil Kufr or something like that. Um, um, so we can then uh, derive from that, that why wouldn't we pray for people who have passed away who are non-Muslim? We should definitely pass away, pray for Muslims who have passed away, but why not? And Allah Ta'ala can say no. And so now bringing this to, to your question, uh, so I think I've answered part of the essence of your question. Uh, I don't think, however, it automatically is a statement of superiority because every one of us is also saying Iblis is going to hell. Uh, is that a statement of superiority of me regarding myself as superior to Iblis? Not necessarily because I don't know that I'm going to heaven. Inshallah, we all are. And so... So if it's, I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell. Okay. If I'm assuming I'm going to heaven, that is near the beginning of course number three, the basic ayah, it's like around ayah 82, where it says, you know, to those people who believe they're going to heaven at the exclusion of everyone else, you should be praying for death. 
Good. Because why would you want to be alive then if you're guaranteed paradise? So I'm still stuck on that, that, uh, that earlier part, but I think the rest of what you're saying, uh, I think works for me. Bastid, how much impact does multiple religions claiming to give exclusive salvation leads people to being atheist or agnostic? Uh, I'm not understanding if that's a question or if that's a comment. If you can expand on that, either type in or on the mic. Uh, accidental death is auto-paradise as it, as it applies to non-Muslim. Inshallah. Again, the key point to think about is that it doesn't take anything away from me. Uh, that's where I think a lot of people get stuck is they feel it's not fair. I'm working so hard. Why does that person get a free pass? Number one, Allah Ta'ala can give his, his mercy, his rahmah to whomever he wills. And he's not robbing me of anything that I'm doing and I'm earning. What would you say is the relationship between the individual and the collective? And what lessons might we glean from COI with regard to how we engage with our relationship with the collective? Those, we're going to we're gonna address that question and explore that question when we complete this whole section from IO 40 to IO 74. Any other questions, inshallah? Uh, what can uh, you say about that hadith? Oh, sorry. Uh, well, uh, how about Basra, you go first, and then Dr. Kazi, and then I'll get to the Saudi's question. Okay, my question was that uh, uh, first is a general uh, comment that maybe that, uh, uh, you know, for some of us who live in Muslim majority lands, we never had to deal with uh, such a question. What happens on Muslim? We can easily afford to say that, oh, you know, they're not going to heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but, uh, you know, like when you come to a, a land where, you know, there are growing uh, Muslims uh, community, which is in minority, uh, there is a philosophical uh, question that sometimes, you know, when our kids are growing up here, they ask, you know, uh, that, you know, if everyone is going to, to hell, uh, according to maybe uh, our understanding of our elders or others in the community, then, you know, uh, this world is not fair, this religion is not fair, and God is not, that God is not fair. Uh, have you seen any, you know, have you seen such uh, reasoning here that leads to leads people to become sort of neutral to religion or being agnostic or just become atheist on those grounds i've definitely i've definitely seen people who will use that as an argument whether or not that's their motivation to become atheist or agnostic uh i've definitely uh, seen many many times of people arguing that okay i don't buy into this exclusivity this is not fair you know that i've definitely seen uh, and I'm sure quite a few of us have all have, have seen that. And this is why to the question that I get, can a non-Muslim go to paradise? The answer I always give, the default answer is that Allah will treat everyone fairly. You are not going to go to hell if you do not deserve it. And the fact is, I can't give you too much more specific than that. Like I said, if you're a kafir, you're going to go to hell. If you're a, a monafic, you're going to go to hell. If you're a fasik, you're going to go to hell. But I don't know of any passage that says Ahl al-Kitab are going to go to hell. Uh, I mean, if there was a passage that said people of the book are going to go to hell, then that makes the the issue easier to at least theoretically explain. Okay. We have passages about inna kafaru min ahlil kitab, so the kafirs among the people of the book, right? And then we have the ayahs near the uh, latter part of Surah Ali Imran uh, of people of the book who are recognizing the truth of this, you know. And and so. 
Passages about kafirs are categorical. These people are going to hell. Passages about monophics, categorical. These people are going to hell. Fasics, categorical. But for people in the book of the Quran, it's not categorical. You know? and, and so the easiest and most correct answer is that Allah Ta'ala is going to treat everyone fairly. And so I'm very cautious to say, uh, cautious against saying non-Muslims are going to go to hell. And of course, what's also assumed is as Muslims, uh, we also are not guaranteed to go straight to heaven. Right? Inshallah, we will, as will our family and loved ones, inshallah. I mean, and we're making this prayer while we're fasting. Okay, so Sadia, uh, I don't remember if I made this, if I told this story uh, during those lessons, but uh, I don't know what the source material it is. This was taught to me. That Musa alayhi salam says to, uh, uh, oh, I forgot to go to Dr. Qazi, but let me finish Sadia's point. I'll go to Dr. Qazi. Uh, Musa alayhi salam says to Iblis, I can give you paradise. Uh, I can get you forgiveness with Allah. Do you want it? And he says, yes. And he says, okay, all you need to do is to go to the grave of Adam alayhi salam and, yeah, and do sajda. And Iblis it says, no, I can't do that. Okay. Think about it. It's one sajda. So I don't know if it's a true story or not. So, so if Iblis asks for forgiveness before the day of judgment, then he has disproven the Quran. Okay. Think about what a mess that would be. But the Quran says it's not going to happen. Abu Lahab could have become Muslim, and that would have disproven the message of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. All right, Dr. Ghazi, I'm sorry, the point you were making, you were saying, what about the hadith, something, something? Yeah, uh, you know, basically uh, tying into your pro your point about uh, Kobe Bryant saying, my God, in the, in the, the hadith of the Rasul, man qala la ilaha illallah jannah. And what was very, what was found interesting about this, that he leaves out Muhammad Rasulullah, mm. and this is most probably a madni hadith. <laughs> interesting point. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's very similar to, to potentially, you know, the Kobe Bryant scenario. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Anything else? Sorry, I'm just sending a text to my daughters and nieces, letting them know I'm running late for their class. Any other questions or comments? What about, what about, do you think that we generally uh, mislabel uh, kuffars as just non-believers? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. From a legal perspective, it is not wrong. I mean, from a fiqh perspective, it is not wrong because there, there's no measurement of the iman. There's also no nifaq, meaning either you're Muslim or you're not. So in that context, you could say kafir uh, Muslim. Okay. Meaning from a fiqh perspective, all that's focused on is your external. Okay. From a Quranic perspective, which is your whole being, then we're looking at your heart, then being a non-Muslim is not the same as being a kafir. Isn't there like a hadith that like someone who labels a kafir, one of those person is a kafir? Yeah, uh, there's a couple issues there. If you're accusing someone of being a kafir, then one of you are, are definitely a kafir. And so what is inferred from that is if you are accusing someone of a kafir and they are not, you have kufrified yourself. Yeah. And then on top of that, to really make this more fun, uh, that uh, you have to be cautious about cursing 
a non-Muslim because they might actually become later on one of the awliya of Allah. So if you are cursing someone without the justification to do so, let's say, I mean, let's say they've done something horribly bad to you, then that's one thing. But let's say you're cursing someone just because of your perceived non-belief. You don't know what the future holds for them. So imagine, a'udhu billah, someone is going to Omar ibn al-Khattab and cursing him to hell. Okay. And Omar ibn al-Khattab goes on to becoming one of the most important of all Muslims ever to exist. Okay. So we're even cautioned against you know, such language against anyone, including non-Muslims. Because that may literally be one of the awliya of Allah. They just don't know it yet. They haven't manifested it yet. I think that's fun to think about. Is there a hadith or something in the Quran that even the Muslims in hell one day will go to Jannah? So so there's a whole class of people that will go to uh, paradise from hell into waves. And and then there's also fun stuff about that. They're going to be called the Jahannamiyyin. And then they're going to be, in paradise, they're going to be sort of like pointed out, hey, look, you're one of the Jahannamiyyin because you're going to have the mark on your forehead of, of coming from hell. And so then they're going to complain to Allah. So imagine imagine that situation. They're going to complain to Allah. And Allah is going to wipe away that mark. And so no one's going to be able to tell who's coming from hell, who's not. Thank you, Sami. One could say they got roasted. Yeah, that's all in hadith. Yes. Okay. Any other questions? All righty. We will stop right here. Continue, inshallah, tomorrow. Uh, one question that has started to rise is what are we going to do after this class? We can discuss that then. Um, I don't have any specific plans. Uh, this class will probably go into... I'm thinking we're probably actually probably going to finish it this week. Um, uh, we may go into next week, uh, but it will probably finish uh, this week, inshallah, by the time we get to Saturday or something. And then we can figure out what you all want to do. Maybe you're all decided, okay, I've had enough Islam for for, for, for this year. Okay. Alrighty. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirika natu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirika natu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirika natu ilayk. May Allah tell you all, inshallah. Wa akhirat da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.